Let's pray together. Lord God, we love you. We want to be the people you called us to be. We want to, uh, before we open your word to hear your truth, we want to open our hearts. We want to be laid bare in front of you here so that your spirit would continue to work in our lives. We want to be people, Father, whose, whose lives are witness to your faithfulness to us so that as we learn today in your word, we could be faithful to you, not just because we believe right things, but because, uh, because we live those right things that come from your heart, Lord. And, and so we want to continue to be people who sit under the authority of your word today as we hear your truth for us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, Genesis 1 to 11, which I think was 18 weeks, has been kind of heavy. I realize that. We've talked a lot about, about sin. We've talked about brokenness. We've talked about our personal responsibility in that brokenness. We have, we have unpacked that a lot. And so now that we've established that we're all uh, depraved sinners, uh, in 11 chapters, uh, what we find is we've covered generation after generation after generation. It's a long time span in 11 chapters. Long time span, lo- a few number of chapters. But here we go from 12 to 50 today, and we've got a long uh, number of chapters with a short time span. We're doing four generations in these chapters from 12 to 50, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And it's a way of God showing with greater detail Uh, He's sort of focusing in the picture on the lives of these fathers of the faith, as we call them. And so we call this section the patriarchal history. It's the the history of the fathers of the faith. And and appropriately, the history of the fathers starts with a man named Abram, whose name means father. And and, and so the story of this father's life that we're going to look at today is a story of faithfulness. It's a story about faithfulness, which is more than, than just, more than just believing correct ideas. It's more than just this intellectual assent to what it means to believe in God. Faithfulness is, in fact, as we'll see, I, I think the Bible tells us faithfulness is more about following God's will and his plans for you than it is believing correct points. Now, now don't worry, I'm not one of those guys that that doesn't believe in good doctrine. In fact, I love good doctrine. I love to talk about good doctrine. It's, I'm kind of a nerd. So I love good doctrine, and if you don't believe some basics of good doctrine, you don't know what you're following, who you're following. But, but the question, as we dive into Genesis here, is do I also live? Do I live good doctrine? And as we see in Abram, that is faithfulness. Abram's story is one of that kind of follow God wherever it leads faithfulness. Now, now wouldn't it be great if that was your story? Wouldn't it be great if, if that's what people down the road said about your life, about, about your legacy? He lived following God's call regardless of the circumstances. She was faithful to the Lord despite the obstacles. Wouldn't that be cool if this was your story? 
That's what God's calling us to, friends. So, so it's one thing to be called faithful, but it's another to see that faithfulness lived out. That requires, that requires a little history, a little backstory. And for that, for Abram, we jump back to 1127. This is the backstory for our, for our uh, verses today. 1127 starts to tell us a little bit about where Abram comes from. It says this, verse 27, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. By the way, he was 70. We know that from the preceding verse. Uh, he was a bit old when he started having uh, these, these children. That's a, that's a foretelling of Abram's life as well. Haran says in verse 27, Haran fathered Lot. In other words, Lot was nephew to Abram. Abram was Lot's uncle. So verse 28, Haran died. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So, so the city of Ur, U-R, is Abram's homeland. This is taking place somewhere about 2000 B.C., uh, probably just a couple hundred years after what we talked about last week in the Tower of Babel. And so, so Ur is in modern-day Iraq, uh, about 186 miles southeast of modern Baghdad. It's almost all the way to the Arabian Sea. Uh, you may have heard the, about the city Basra in Iraq. Um, it is close to where that is, and I think we've got a picture here that should be showing any second. Hallelujah. Um, this is the Arabian Sea here, and Basra, modern-day Iraq, is right about there, and that's Ur. And what we, what we see going on here in the travels of Abram is he's going all the way northeast from Ur. Terah, his dad, is taking his family, including Abram, all the way about 550 miles up to Haran as you can see up there to the left of Assyria. That's about 550 miles, and that's where Terah dies. And from that place there in Haran, he goes down to Shechem, into the Canaan, uh, the Canaan territory uh, that God is taking him to. So, so that's the geography we need for today. Uh, so verse 29, let's jump back into that. Verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was uh, Sarai. Uh, probably pronounced Sarai, maybe Sarah. That name means princess. Her name changes to princess. Okay, Sarai becomes Sarah, which is both uh, meaning princess. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Verse 30, Sarah was barren. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Tells us nothing about this, this Milcah and whether she has kids. She probably did bear children. But it points out, as a way of saying, don't miss this, verse 30, Sarai was barren. This poses a problem. In a, in, in a family like this, that, that follows God, who commands in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and to multiply, barrenness seems like a pretty big wrench in the works of the plans. So we're getting some of this backstory begin to be painted for us. The history that paints the picture of Abram's faithfulness despite the obvious roadblock in this example of barrenness. In fact, if you're Abram and you know well that you're supposed to be fruitful but your wife is barren, it raises the question, uh, um, God, how am I supposed to be faithful to your command if we cannot bear children? How can I be faithful to your command to be fruitful and to multiply, God? You've sent us, you've called us to this task, you've asked for our faithfulness, and yet 
My wife is barren. Many people experience this kind of feeling. A frustration on the road to faithfulness, which means a couple things given what we've talked about in Genesis. It means that fruitfulness must mean more than just bearing children, as we've talked about a couple times. It also means that Abram is obviously being called to faithfulness despite uh, mitigating, despite frustrating and, and seemingly impossible circumstances. And it looks like, looks like Abram got this faithfulness, this pioneering spirit and faithfulness from his father, Terah. Look at verse 31. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. We know that the goal at this point was still Canaan, but, uh, but as we see here, it didn't finish well. They started off well in Terah's ambition to move his family. We're not told why they're going forth yet. Um, but we have from help from Stephen in Acts 7, where he tells us this backstory. Acts 7, verses 2 and 3. This is, this is Stephen preaching before the Sanhedrin. He's, he, he is uh, defending himself in front of the Jewish ruling council of elders. And he says this in 7, 2 and 3. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Stephen said this because of verse 31 in Genesis 11, where it's obvious, though we don't have details, that Terah knew the call of God. The goal was to go to Canaan even before Abram in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12 hears that. And so so what this means is Abram learned faithful mission. From his father. Abram learned faithful mission from his father. Don't miss this. We don't know why, but their good start as a family to follow God's call began to lose momentum. Verse 31 tells us that when they came to Haran, they settled there. They stopped. Apparently the journey was was over for, for some reason. They settled there. This reminds me last week of the, of the people with the Tower of Babel incident. It says the children of man settled in the plains of Shinar. Maybe Terah got tired. Maybe like the folks at the Tower of Babel, he got sucked into the cares of this world. We don't know why, but we know that he settled. And so the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. But Abram, Abram, Carries on the good work. Look at uh, verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, finish the work your father started. Now, I know it doesn't actually say that. It's not exactly what it says. But, but that's, that's what's going on here. God is saying, continue this. In fact, God may be saying, finish the work your heavenly father started long ago. Remember I talked about the Bible being a missions book the missionary movement of giving of oneself for the glory of God started not with Paul, <laughs> not with Jesus, not John the Baptist, not even Abram, but God. It started in the beginning when God created. He gave of himself. 
the first missionary is God. And so verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 1 in chapter 12 might be a way of saying, finish the work I started. Let me prove it to you. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. By the word go, by the way, sounds like the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't use that word by accident. It says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Notice a few things here in the text that help us understand what's going on. This is God speaking. God speaks here. This is divine speech to the Lord said to Abram. We don't know exactly how or when God spoke to Terah and Abram before this to make them move, but we know that God spoke and gave them instructions. So it's very clear here that God has an agenda. And God is in charge of this journey. Abram at this point doesn't even know where he's going in Canaan. Notice it says, your three times. Your country, your kindred, your father's house. God's call on Abram's life is a challenge. It's a challenge, as the ESV study Bible notes say, it's a challenge to abandon the normal sources of personal identity and security. His family, his homeland, his kindred. God has called Abram to abandon the normal sources of personal identity and security. And he says, go from your, your, your to the place I. To the place I will show you. We easily, we easily hear that kind of call. And we think about the journey that's being made from Ur up to Haran and, and down to, to Canaan. We hear this and we think, Yeah, yeah, I get it. (laughs) God called Abram to abandon the normal sources of identity and security so he could follow God. But God doesn't call us all to leave Ur to go to Canaan. That's what we think. Actually, I think he does. God's agenda is to call you to abandon Ur for Canaan. Whatever that looks like. God actually calls us to abandon the old place, the old life, the personal identity and security out of which God is calling us to Canaan as the promised land. Basically, God has called Abram to give up his whole life in order to follow him. It's discipleship in Genesis. Discipleship doesn't start in the New Testament. It starts with the self-giving of God, calling people to follow him. So God is calling Abram, like all of us, to abandon the securities of this life for the joys of eternal life, to hold on to those securities, and that is faithfulness. To hold on to those securities, that is faithfulness. To hold on to these is faithlessness. To hold on to these securities is to not believe God's plan for your life. It's holding on to your own plan. 
So you see, what God is doing is he's setting it all up so that Abram has to depend on God for every part of the journey. Because that's how God gets the most glory. Not when we steal it from him. And ensure that our plans work. That's why, in the next verse, in verse 2, there's all this contrast with the three yours of God saying, I. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. Not you. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In other words, I will be doing this, not you. I will be the ultimate source of your greatness and your blessing. But like we talked about last week, I, I love this. Here's the mission. I will bless you and make your name great, so that, circle it if you're a circler, so that you will be a blessing. There's a purpose for the blessing. In other words, the mission of God's glory is dripping from every page of Scripture. If you have eyes to see and ears to to hear, it's all over the place in the story of his relationship with his people. Abram is being plucked out of his homeland and his securities by God, being asked to do this by God so that he will have to entirely depend on God in order for God to make of him a great nation, in order for God to bless him. Why? So he will bless others. Verse 3, it says, In you, that is in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. For the Bible nerds, in you there is picked up by Paul and made in Christ. Verse 4, so because of this calling, because Abram faithfully heard that mission and went, verse 4, Abram went, he obeyed as the Lord had told him. He obeyed as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. There's a truth here. We, we, we don't exactly know why Lot followed, but he followed. The truth is this. People will follow someone who has a vision and obeys God. People will follow someone who has a vision of their life that comes from God's plans and not their own, and they're obeying God. Abram, it says, verse 4, was 75 years old when this happened. Abram is no spring chicken. Can you imagine becoming a missionary to another culture at age 75? (laughs) No. (laughs) Obviously, Abram's age was a a potential obstacle to following God's command. But, But it was an obstacle Abram marched right over albeit slower than he used to. Um, When he departed from Haran, he was age 75. And so, verse 5, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and they, uh, Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites... We're in the land. He gets there, and there are people already in the land. God's calling him to possess. I can just imagine Abram coming to Shechem, finding the Canaanites in the land and saying, 
Oh, sure. Okay, God. I mean, I, I, I get it. You, you call me to leave everything I know. To go take possession of a land that is already possessed by somebody else? I mean, at this point, Abram has his doubts, and uh, I'm sure we've all experienced that kind of doubt, those obstacles in the life of following Christ. We have those obstacles all the time. You come over the horizon, and you see something that means this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen unless God does it. That's how it works when you depend on God. Insurmountable obstacles overcome by faith in his promises. That's the idea. Verse 7. Then, at the time when he comes into the land and sees Canaanites and has doubts, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, on top of that, to your offspring I will give this land. The cynic in me reads verse 7 uh, in, in chapter 12 and, and sarcastically thinks, um, okay, so the plan is I'm going to step right up, knock on people's doors, notify them I, I am here to dispossess your land uh, that, that you already live in because God's given it to me. Is that cool with y'all? Is that all right, Canaanites? Can I do that? But that's not how he responds. He responds not with sarcasm, but he believes. He believes God, and he he acts accordingly on that promise. At age 75, 1,000 miles from his home, with a bunch of people following him, inevitably thinking to themselves, this plan ain't going to work. Abram, because he has a clear sense, he has a very clear sense of being called to a mission. He has a very clear sense of being blessed for the purpose of the mission, blessed by God. Abram lived in faithful confidence that God had a bigger agenda, a bigger agenda than his comfort, than his being liked by the followers, a bigger agenda than his little blinders, through which he saw his life. His his view of where God was taking him was bigger, was more important. So, he responded in faith, verse 7. He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. When, When God appears to you, and calls you to go, you obey. In the face of opposition and age and people who don't like you, you obey. In the face of of age, in the face of feelings of lack of resources, you obey. This is what it looks like in the Christian life when you're called by God to be about His agenda. And the evidence of his obedience was his worship in verse 7. He built an altar to the Lord. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, verse 8, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 
But, <laughs> but, verse 10, Abram, like us, he fights this process. He fights the place God has him. He gets scared. He is, he is tempted to fight the process. And so he gives in to the temptation to build towers of Babel, Genesis 11. So look at verse 10 through 20. This is Abram's response of fear in the middle of the faithfulness that God's called him to. His response of fear, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, another problem, another obstacle. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman, Sarah, was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Despite the fact that he is fearfully taking control of the circumstances, God is merciful nonetheless and keeps his promise and blesses him, even though he lies bold-faced to the authorities. Verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh... And his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave in orders concerning him and sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram, I think, perhaps got a little overconfident in his own plans, his own vision for what God was doing. He let fear undo him, and he lost his focus. Maybe, maybe he settled in, maybe he hunkered down like Noah who got soft in his old age. We don't know all the specifics, but we know that he lost focus. He lost focus. He forgot his own mission, the mission to which God had called him. And he began to selfishly hold to his security and his safety more than God's plans. You know, it's it's, it's a constant temptation in the life of following God to replace his mission, his vision, with our own quest for security and safety. When that happens, when, when, we've, when we've given in, when we've lied to ourselves and others, when we've lost focus on God, it's time to do what Abram does. In Genesis 13, it's, it's time to return to faithful living, to pick up, to move on, to keep up with the work, to pick up the plow, and to refocus on what God has called us to when you've lost your way, when you've had a lapse of faith, refocus on the calling. Don't ever, ever forget the calling. Sanctification, growth in Christ, is nothing if it's not all of our focus coming down to one laser-like goal of the glory of God. 
growth in Christlikeness and godliness is nothing else if it's not all our other goals and plans for ourselves being flushed down the toilet. For the one worthy goal of contentment and joy because we get to be a part of God receiving glory. And so we pick up, we move on, we pick up the plow. We go back to that call of Genesis 12. And so Abram, verse 1, he returns to faith, chapter 13. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. God continued to be faithful and bless him. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. He goes back to that first place where he pitched the tent. To the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. I I don't know exactly what mission for God he has blessed you. but But he's blessed you for a mission. And he's called us all to faithfully carry out that mission. It continues because we know that God made us, created us, wants to give us the resources that are needed to accomplish what he's called us to do. And those resources are God alone, God himself, relationship with him, faithfulness to the call. Nothing normal people think about you think about resources. Father in heaven, we, we, we beg to be people who are smack dab in the, in the sweet spot of your will for our lives. Father, we want to be faithfully using the things with which You've blessed us, the relationships with which You've blessed us, for a cause that is bigger than us, for a cause that is about Your glory and Your purposes. We ask that You'd continue to shower us with grace and mercy despite our failures toward that end, Lord. Part of deciding to follow you, Lord, is continuing each day to die to ourselves, to be made alive with you. And so we ask for hearts that continue to be refreshed by what you're doing in us, by how you're changing us, by, by the larger purposes to which you've called us. Fathers, there's no greater place to be in the middle of your will for us. And so we ask that you would reveal to us the ways in which you've created us for mission. Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we would clearly know what you would have us do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.